For several years leading up to September 2020, value stocks as a group had been deeply unrewarding compared to their growth stock counterparts. The gap in performance, it got ugly. Then, for maybe eight months, that reversed, and in relative terms, value stocks surged. But for the last five or six, ooh, it's been back to growth. So, what now? And what about the coming, say, 10 years? Would investors be better off just staying away from value stocks for now? Stay tuned as we discuss all this and more right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here as usual with Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. We have an interesting topic for you today. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we There's been a lot of talk over the last uh, year, year and a half about value stocks and have they come back and the opportunities that are available there. So we're going to dive deep today with you on that topic. We're going to talk to you about what value stocks are, where things have been over the last you know, year and a half or so, where things are today. Have you missed the opportunity and what can you do about it? So Eric, tell me uh, a little bit about why you, why you feel like this is an important topic today. All right. Well, we've done an episode on the, in the past comparing growth and value, and we've talked about both the definitions of that to, in a general way, as well as some of our misgivings about perhaps in some ways the artificiality of breaking the world down into that and the impact that that's had on the industry that manufactures various investment products trying to fit into the constraints of this or that definition. Having, having said that and acknowledged our skepticism at times, it is, I think, that true that there is something real underneath this, as ex- we will exhibit today and as we will we'll talk about today, in the distinction about what you have to pay for what something is worth. So we make a distinction between what you pay and what something is worth. And the, val- the definition that we tend to use for value investing is finding things that are worth more then the, the market price today uh, represents them as worth. In other words, buying things at a discount when you can. And the deeper the discount, all else being equal, the deeper the discount, the more potential you have for subsequently the rest of those irrational investors getting their heads screwed on straight and realizing what a, what a screaming buy oppor- buying opportunity they missed and coming in behind you as an owner of that that asset you bought wisely when everyone else was running away, and now you you gain from the belated recognition that the rest of the market participants have with respect to that. So we think this is important because while we're going to be talking about history today, what we really want to focus on is, is there an opportunity ahead? And the, the reason we want to look at that is, is that depending on who you're listening to, Many of the conventional market observers today are depicting the next 10 years as a period of, of slim pickings for returns to a variety of asset classes that we've grown accustomed to thinking of as 
having a bountiful return for investors. So many of these observers are saying stocks, this can be tough sledding. I want to just bring us back because you started out with definition and kind of uh, moved on to where, where, where they're saying the prospects are. And you touched on... Well, I think I'm, what I'm saying is why it's important for us to talk about it as a subject. Yeah, well, no, uh, um, just getting back to with value, I think you actually were getting... When we get on to definition, gave one of the uh, uh, most popular statements or ways to describe it that I think just hits home is price is what you pay and value is what you get. Literally that that simple. I think that will explain to people the uh, the difference with what we're looking at today. And when you look at the market and split it up, as you said, growth versus value, um, value being you know what you get for the price you pay. You think you're paying less than something's worth. And growth, if you're if you're an advocate of that, you also think you're paying less than it's worth, but it's not based on its current value. It's based on the growth of the company. Your projections about the future value. Yeah, you're buying at a discount to, if you'll just be patient and allow the growth of that company to, to finally become the value you project it will be. You'll be all, all very, very glad that you bought it at the quote-unquote discount price, to use a comparable term, today. So let's talk about some definitions then. Um, and just be clear about what we're talking about in the, in the paper that we're going to be evaluating. It's by a group at, known as research affiliates that we have a lot of respect for. And, uh, one of the big names that's associated with that is, um, uh, Rob Arnott, also Jason Chu, um, Chris Brightman, but the two researchers that are the key authors of this particular paper, um, are Vitaly Kolesnik and Lillian Wu. And they published this in September of this year, 2021. And the title of the article is, Did I Miss the Value Turn? So the definition of value that they're using as the base definition, and they do um, enter into a few others, is something known as book value. And in their case, they're using, since there are many even definitions of book value that are out there, and we had a very animated discussion before we hit record today, talking about all of those different definitions. In their case, they're using a version for you technicians out there of, that strips out intangible value from the definition. So it's book value that does not include intangibles. And they acknowledge later that if you introduce the concept of intangibles back in, that would change some of these numbers. But just as you track with us, if you're somebody who's really tightly following these different, different definitions, please know that the definition that they're using and which we'll assume throughout the rest of this podcast is book value stripped of intangibles. So there's, there's our starting point. Um, and so I'll just throw in the fact that we're also talking about drawdowns today. And we're talking about drawdowns in the contest between companies that have very uh, attractive pricing versus their definition of book value versus the companies that have companies that have very unattractive pricing relative to their book value as they define it. So split the universe of any, you know, any universe that you want to consider, large cap U.S. stocks, small cap U.S. stocks, international stocks, or what have you, split it into two halves, the half that has the most appealing price based on that definition of book value versus the other half. And they're looking at how the, those have performed relative to one, one another. In this case, it's, a, it's been a massive beatdown of their definition of, of stocks with the, their definition of book value from December of, 20, of 2006 all the way down to September of 2020. That's a long, long time. 
to be in, in essentially a beat down mode. And so uh, this is a story today about just how bad that beat down got, what, what happened starting in September of 2020, and what may happen next. Yeah, that, that was one data point that blew me away, 13 years and eight months. That is incredibly long time period for a decline. And uh, when they, they look at, they compare it against countries, that's the US, Australia was slightly longer, 16 years and three months, but working with people on their retirement, you know, as we like to share at the beginning why this is important, I always tell people, and, and we uh, all of us use multiple strategies, we've talked about this at length before, but I always tell people you want to avoid an extended period of underperformance. You're someone retiring and focused only on value stocks, and now you've underperformed for 13 years and eight months. That's half your retirement. Right. If you look at if it once, I just thought that was another uh, another area that really stood out for me. That that length of time, I remember back between 2000 and 2010, seeing how essentially indexing was uh, not helpful using that that strategy during that time period. So that's a lost decade. Which, if you think about a 30 year retirement, is a third. This is more than a lost decade, almost half of a 30 year retirement. You know what? I'm surprised, Roshan, we didn't talk about this in the in the prep for the show. I'm I. This is a really I'm just really curious. You use value as a definition in some of your strategies, and I do too. What do you use for value? How do you? Well, define I do it? look for what I, I I and I've had to sort of modify what the traditional definition is. Just thinking that you do need, do need to include under uh, other factors, just you know, beyond the price to book. And I think about. Um, uh, a Buffett quote, and I wish I had it, uh, knew it exactly. I'm going to actually Google it while I say it. But he said something to the effect of, "There's no value without growth." So, uh, so I do look at things that I think are growing, and if I look at things that are undervalued as well, just more of the pure value definition only. I also I will not purchase it without some form of catalyst or technical. Uh, uh, positive technical signals, right? So mm-hmm. what that means yeah. is if it's mm-hmm. just cheap and it's been cheap forever, I'm not going to go ahead and say, let's buy it. If it's cheap and something's happening with the company that I think will turn the stock, great. Or if it's cheap and I think um, uh, I think things have started to turn based on some of my technical indicators, then I'll look at it as being a buy. Well, I think that's great because I, <laughs> there's something known, in listeners, there's something known as a value trap. That's where something deserves to be cheap because it's terrible. And so uh, what we're, I think when you put in some of those other measures, you, you hi- highlighted the, you spoke in general terms about some of these other technical factors. All you, I use uh, two other factors primarily that, that it also has to satisfy not just value tests, but it also has to satisfy quality tests and momentum tests. Because if there's good quality, then you know, we're, we're solving some of the, the value trap problem there. As well as if we have upward momentum, it's it, it may it may not have the highest quality, but at least somebody believes it does enough that they've been buying it up. So on the definition of value itself, what what do you use? So I'm looking at the most simplified, probably uh, way to describe. I have a target price, and that what creates that target is it does vary a little bit based on the uh, the company. But uh, enterprise value uh, per share is probably the, the best way, the most frequent used. 
listeners, without getting into the school, uh, you know, making this value definition school, um, <laughs> there are a lot of definitions out there. And I'll just say in, in the strategies that I use, it, you've mentioned some of them. It's there includes price to sales, price to free cash flow. Actually, I, I'm using the conventional reference of putting price in the numerator of this. Actually, I flip it the other direction. So it's earnings to price, it's sales to price, it's free cash flow to price. And then it's all of those things um, next to not just price, but a better measure, which includes the measures of debt, would be enterprise value. And so I'm also, instead of just looking at earnings, looking at EBITDA. And, and so a variety of ways. I think the more ways that you can define value, the more you can uh, take a little bit of, uh, be reassured that you're not being misled by the fact that one company or one industry in particular, which may look good on paper in that one category, but it may not be good in all. If you use a composite definition of value, I think you're on safer yeah, ground. I completely agree with that uh, as well. And you know, we had our debate earlier with the uh, book value, tangible book value conversation, but um, using both and more uh, metrics, I think will just improve the situation for you in terms of either valuation or confidence in your move. Yeah, that's pretty much for like all the strategies out there. And I really like how you, we highlight this point where I think when you think of value, the first thing you look at is like the price and just so you look at the overall company and am I really getting it at a, at a great price? But then there's just so many indicators that we just brought up that you really have to look at. I think that's just um, extremely important. And then we're going to go into some graphs and some uh, numbers later on that really shows that just value hasn't been historically having the best time relative to growth. And then what point or what area where, you know, investors are going to start looking at this value where growth has just been just performing so well and value has been doing so bad. Um, one of the charts that um, we uh, were looking at that related to what Eric described as the drawdown for the U.S. market pre-COVID-19, the drawdown was minus 17. And during COVID, the drawdown in 2020 was a minus 21%. So it really just has been having the best time relative to growth. And I think that's why we're also having this discussion today, just kind of turning our attention to basically a strategy that hasn't been in favor for some time. Yeah, so um, in fact, maybe it would be useful for us to show for our YouTube audience some of those graphs. Roshan, you had a graph that illustrated this, this uh, disparity between... Uh, a couple of tradable instruments now listeners we're moving from in this part of this so those of you especially who can watch this on youtube we're moving from concepts and definitions to actual tradable instruments so roshan will show the difference in performance of tr some actual tradable instruments and we'll see how those have changed over time so if you're looking at the screen right now roshan why don't you describe what people are seeing here yeah i tried to hide this first before i gave our our disclosure we are licensed this is not a recommendation this is purely a comparison so i'm going to give a quick shout out to kari and uh compliance who's going to be listening to this uh to tell her we are not recommending anything as she is well aware i just want to make it clear to the listener this is just uh an academic uh pursuit or comparison so this paper talks about uh, value versus growth. I use the iShares Core S&P US Value ETF, and I compared it to the iShares Core S&P US Growth ETF. What they're doing is they're splitting the S&P 500 into what they consider growth stocks versus value stocks. 
and then they look at the performance. So this chart I find so interesting because this is talking about the recent state and it sort of lines up with the article's time frame. So I have September 1st, 2020 through May 31st, 2021, the darker blue line and why I've got two blue lines. Let me change the color on this one. Let's make it red so it's easier to compare. So, and then my date changed or my comparison changed. So now in blue, you've got the value, the iShares Core US value. In red, you've got the iShare US Core growth and changing the color created this whole uh, back and forth. But you see the growth is at 13.87 versus 30.74. Uh, so 13.87% return versus 30.74% return. And what the article that we're, we've got and what we're going to share a link to talks about is, have you missed the opportunity because you see this growth differential that's, uh, that's happened? I shouldn't use the word growth. You see the difference in appreciation where value stocks have appreciated to 30% and growth stocks have gone up by 13. Now, if you take a step back, and this is where I wonder with comparing these things, uh, and Eric, we'll come to your stats, but I, I think they're going to line up pretty well. If you take a step back and you just look at, I have a March of 09 to November, uh, to, to, to today, really, uh, uh, November 2021, uh, the growth is the light blue with an overall 749.47% return versus the value at 354.18. That and I picked uh, March of 09 because I was looking to get towards the bottom of the uh, of the markets. If you look even at a different time frame, I looked at pre-COVID to present, and you've got growth up 50 uh, February 15th, 2020 to present. You've got growth at 53.29 and you've got value of 17.7. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen and just say, Eric, before you share uh, some of your stats, uh, which I think will li line up, so we'll show them as well. I wonder, did, for, did they, to their question, did you miss the opportunity? I would first say no. And then I'd also wonder, is this the opportunity or is this the right time, which we'll discuss even further. Just because when you expand the time frame, uh, it just looks like, are we picking a sweet spot where value happened to outperform, whereas it's just getting crushed constantly and uh, it just hasn't turned at all yet. So th that's what I, I wonder. And I'll, I'll pass that on to you, Eric, to share, to share your screen and then we can continue with uh, the question of have you missed the opportunity. All right. So before I show my screen and the YouTube audience will be able to see this just for the benefit of the podcast audience. So what I've done is, <clears throat> while it's interesting to talk about the, the theoretical differences and using these definitions of the half of the market that is, has the most attractively priced uh, stocks based on their book value versus the other half that has the least attractive priced stocks. What I've done instead is, you, how, does a, how does an investor translate that into something they actually do? And so the, I think the simplest way is to then say, well, okay, I've got an option for what sorts of things I include in my portfolio. And, and so what I've gone out and done is I've developed six pairs or contrasts in pairs of six, six different pairs of the growth version of this versus the value version of this, of, of what? The growth and value of what? So the S&P 500, the mid cap index this the russell uh, 2000 which is small cap the s p's 
600 small cap and the um the developed world international um index and so what you're going to see is going back to 2001 on this graph before i show it what you're going to see is the the um rolling difference in the trailing 12 month percent price appreciation or for that matter price depreciation of the growth member of that pair versus the value member of that pair so if it's and it's going to be if it's above the zero line that means in that phase on a 12 month look back the growth version in that pair was ahead and if it if the graph is showing below the zero line what that means is in that phase the value version was ahead and then it's really just a question of by how much and you'll see in some phases wow it's been 40 45 50 55 percent differences in trailing 12-month performance at times on some of these different pairs so let me show that here and we'll uh we'll get to it yeah don't try to change colors in the middle there <laughs> <laughs> all right great so what we're looking at first is the s p 500 pair of growth minus value and the ticker symbols for these, and again, for our audience, we are. this is not a recommendation to use these tickers. It just happens to be that these are the ones that have the longest um, observable history in the ETF world that, that where these pairs are featured. So I just wanted to show you a lot of data, and these were the ones with deep data. Again, no recommendation implied. So on this case, if you're looking at the screen, and for our listeners, I'll just describe it. Far left-hand side, the first instance of measuring 12 months of data was in late May of 2001, and we've run it all the way through the, the prices that were uh, on display uh, yesterday. So we're recording this on November 3rd of 2021, so this is through November 2nd of 2021. So we're looking at essentially more than 20 years of history in this particular graph. And what you see on the far left side is, is that for about half a year, uh, meaning it wrapped up about probably late 2020, uh, uh, late 2001, value had been in a phase of really just completely pounding growth that you had advantages of 35 38 percent maybe 39 percent at the at the most extremes at the greatest extremes of that but then it's it came back for a bit growth had a little bit of a reprieve for a while and then was back to value not quite as pronouncedly but but certainly you know certainly it was values game at that point in time through let's say late late 2007 from 2007 forward with only three minor exceptions it's been growth 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 and even more recently value hasn't been really um just dominating it's been it's been just you know it's gotten up off the mat and it's back in the it's back in the battle but it's not been dominating but we've come out of a phase where growth at in this entire 20-year period was the strongest period of gross advantage so for those of you who are going why is my value, you know, mutual fund or my value stock uh, comp compilation or my value exchange traded fund or whatever it might be just performing so badly? They're terrible there. No, it's not necessarily that whoever's the manager there is terrible. It just might mean that they were up against this headwind of what was, you know, close to a 35 and 40 percent advantage to growth during that phase. Now, I won't go through the rest of these slides in quite the same depth but just again for our youtube audience what you'll see here is is that when we get out of the category of large caps and into the category here of both large and mid caps it's the story shifts a little bit more in favor 
of value recently. And then when we get to mid caps in, in their purest form, lately you can see after a sustained period of absolute dominance by growth, it's now uh, value is, is ahead on this one. And then in the small cap category, small cap growth didn't dominate within the same extreme way against small cap value. But now small cap value over the last, let's say, six to, to, six to nine months has had phases where it's been 30% ahead, which was confirmed in part on the this graph that you showed, Roshan, although those were large caps as opposed to these, which are small. Well, can you, um, Eric, go back to your first one. I'll tell you one thing that stands out to me as interesting. And just when you're comparing the large cap stock, that first phase of value outperformance that you've got from 2001, that's just because value lost less, right? Right. That's that's the tech bubble. And, and granted, there, there's there, that's something that is very helpful if you've got your growth stocks losing. You know, that's a forty percent difference almost. If you got your growth stocks losing fifty percent and uh, you're losing um, ten, or no, I'm sorry, forty. Uh, either way, if you've got it'll it'll help. But I think it also makes a little bit of a difference in this comparison where you're not making money, you're just losing less on that first phase. Losing less, yes, so that you can come back to fight stronger. another day a little bit more readily without having to wait for the drawdown to re be recovered. Yeah, and I think it's important for some people that really just don't want too much volatility. The, these uh, charts that you're showing, comparing like the large to the mid to the small caps, and then uh, the performance of growth and value and how they're doing is uh, could be a really important thing to kind of highlight and show where if you are heavily concentrated in, let's just say, growth area, um, you might be experiencing a little bit more volatility where value can kind of curb, curb that and kind of give you more of a diversifier, I think, is, uh, is, is really important. Not just looking at one specific area like large caps that you should kind of take a look at other areas, for example, the mid and small. Well... Yeah, so this is, let me just conclude here by looking at the small since you, you, you finished there. This is uh, the Russell 2000 pairing of IWO, the growth version of the Russell 2000 versus IWN, the value version. And here you're seeing in the last year, the, the extreme, the advantage to uh, growth, pardon me, the, it, which had been in the prior period as high as 30, 35% has swung the other direction and value over the last, let's say nine months or so has had points where it was 40% ahead. And quite recently it was 30% ahead. When we look at international, I just wanted to make sure that we don't leave out the international since the article that we are reviewing, did I miss the value turn included value or pardon me, included international here. It hasn't, we don't have as long a history of this pairing of EFG versus EFV. Um, we only have it going back to 2006 and it's been mostly just growth, growth, growth all the way uh, through that period. More recently, you're finally seeing, again, value is up off the mat and has had maybe a, a 10 or 12% advantage at times on a trailing one-year price basis. By the way, none of these include the dividend yield. And since value stocks tend more often than not to have more dividends than growth ones do, there, if we were to look at the total return um, performance of these, it would be slightly more advantageous for value over these periods. But this is just a price comparison, and I think it gets the basic point across, which is we've been in a period of extreme beatdown by growth versus value, and now we're starting to see um, a, an unwinding of that of that uh, feature. So I'm going to stop sharing. We'll come back to the come back to our our screen here. So let's go back to their question. Have you missed the opportunity? Just 
uh, opinions. What are your What are your thoughts, Adrian? Do you think you've missed the opportunity? I don't think you've missed the opportunity, but again, like I mentioned before, I think it's really important just to kind of see where you're positioned right now and are should you be adding more value into your portfolio given what what we discussed today and what you've seen and i think a important kind of theme you're seeing now is again like we discussed this before this kind of growth versus value where growth has just really just been growth stocks have really been performing well and they're kind of really being buzzed and talked about like for example like technology companies, electric vehicle companies, semiconductors, even like for, you can kind of throw cryptocurrency in this space where they're kind of being talked about and there's just a lot of interest and you see a lot of investors like moving in these areas where now you might see some shift or some focus into different areas like value and other areas where these um, certain kind of like, let's just call them themes have just been performing so well and it's just been the main focus for over time that you could kind of see a little bit of a, a rotation or a type of movement, I think it's always important to really monitor. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Eric, why don't you share what you think first, and then I'll go, go into it. Yeah, so uh, this is one of those things where, as I often tell my clients, I have views and outlooks, and then I have an approach to investing when those are two separate things. Oh, it's a great way to put so, it. So, uh, you know, I, I, what I think and what I feel, I recognize that just like every human being, um, a lot of times we're, our emotions are really what's going on behind the scenes, and then they, we express them as viewpoints. And uh, sometimes we're just not able to form, in addition, we're not, you know, we're finite people, so we don't have the kind of comprehensive scope of all of the information that's out there. And so in my case, at least, it's follow your investment discipline rather than follow your hunch. Having said that, my, my outlook is, is that I do think that because value has moved, as they describe in the article, at the end of that period from, as we cited, from 2006 in the case of their definition of book value in the case, or, or since maybe value peaking um, on other definitional measures in 2013 or 14 or 17, nevertheless, all, what, irrespective of what definition you used, when you get to a point in September of 2020, where value in most regions of the world was in the 100th percentile of disadvantage to, to growth, I mean, we're using that again in a very casual way, what we mean is the half of the market that has the most appealing book value, pr price to book value versus the least appealing price to book value. When you're at the hundredth percentile, you've stretched that disparity in performance that far, I do think the principle of reversion to the mean is a very powerful one. And, and so it seems to me that um, there, there has to be almost, it, it seems as night follows day, there has to be some sort of movement out of that hundredth percentile. It just can't keep staying and lingering in that hundredth percentile and just um, getting worse and worse from that point forward. So I would expect that value will perform well if we're looking a decade out. Will that mean tomorrow or in the next quarter or even in the next year? I don't know, but I would feel pretty, it's a pretty good place to have, or there's a reason to have values oriented um, approaches in your portfolio for the next decade, for sure. So, um, uh, well, no, I want to ask you one other question first. So that's your outlook. Your investing discipline, though, is different from that, correct? Yeah. So 
it, well, I, I, without going into the full, and maybe this would be a productive episode in our podcast as well to talk about how we approach this, but just on the narrow question of this, I would say I tend to think more in terms of zone defense, just using a basketball analogy here, than than man on man type of defense. In other words, my view is is that the other team is going to be creative, and I don't know precisely you know who they're going to to whom they'll pass the ball. So I want a presence. I want defenders in every one of those those zones of the court. I want a presence in value. I want a presence in growth. I want a presence in large. I want a presence in small and mid and and I want it in an international and I want it in domestic. I want it in emerging markets so that um, since my, my hunches will oftentimes be wrong, maybe more often than not they'll be wrong, at least I'll have, I'll have something waiting to catch the wave instead of saying, oops, missed that. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that uh, analogy as well, having that, the zone defense out there. And um, uh, my response to have you missed the opportunity I would first say, no, I don't think you have, but I would follow up with, follow that up with, I don't know if the opportunity is there right now either, right? So as far as what you, what you do about it, I, you know, I'd keep monitoring the situation. And as you said, Eric, if you're thinking a decade out, putting a little bit in there in the value space, I, 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 don't, I don't think you'll be very upset, but uh, they picked that specific time frame. I, I went back and uh, made one more uh, adjustment in comparison, which I'll actually share on here. I won't bother changing colors since that didn't work, didn't work last time. But I'm pulling their September, uh, their data of uh, September or their time frame. Let me get this up. Okay, here we go. That's their time frame of September 30th to present. And growth just shot up and it's still it's still doing better than value right you see growth is the light blue up 37.64 value is the dark blue up 34.05 so yes there is that specific narrow window they have where it outperformed but are and you could have outperformed in that time frame but you had to get in and get out and switch back to growth when they you know at those at those timings for it to technically do better. I just wonder if the time frame has been cherry picked and nothing's really changed since 2007 as of yet. That's a possibility. I mean, they acknowledge in the paper, look, we're writing this in September and I imagine they might've been actually writing it in August and then published it in September. But what one way or the other, they're saying, Hey, from September of last year through May of this year, value went, had a, had a decided advantage against growth. And we're using that in a very sloppy way. Again, the, half versus the other half uh, based on book value, their definition of book value. Then they acknowledge from May, which was shown on the graph that you just illustrated there, from May of 2021 forward, then that advantage to value dissipated. And so their question is the basic, did we miss the opportunity to, to ride a little bit of the value wave? Was it just a little wavelet? And are we now back, you know, and, and now it's, it's, it's over. And if you didn't get it, you missed it. Or is there more to come? And so here I think is the, the, overall sort of the the thrust of this paper is is that in their view and the, and so listeners please understand this is not our view all we have views but what we're at this stage reporting is their view is that perhaps the only um place to find real returns inflation adjusted returns over the next decade won't be in bonds 
won't be primarily in growth stocks. It'll primarily be in value stocks and not only in the United States, but even more potently is their argument in international value and particularly in emerging market value. And so their argument is, is that over the next decade, the, the, a composite value will lead to real, that is to say, after inflation, returns in the sum, somewhere varying in the 5 to 10% area. They see nothing else as offering that, at least among the large, commonly followed, you know, established asset classes like large this and small that and international this and domestic that. The, its value both domestically, but especially internationally, they see as the one best opportunity to beat inflation by a significant margin. And we'll see if they're right. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand their calculations, but as you said, we'll have to see if they're right. Well, gentlemen, I think we worked that paper pretty well. Is there more that either of you has to say? I, I'm, I'm commented out. Yeah, what's interesting is I've, there's all this data and all this we've gone over, but the... Uh, end result to me is uh wait and see right like it's like (laughs) you're thinking and i guess we've mentioned this before but you've also always got to consider your time frame right so uh that yeah i found that to be very interesting debate on growth versus value i think we had some some different uh different thoughts we've gone over you know what it means where things have been the time frame they selected where we are right now and have you missed the opportunity I think, um, not to put words in either of your mouth, but um, it seemed like our consensus was no to is there to questioning whether there is an opportunity right now. Oh, I guess I wouldn't say that. I, I would say, I'm, for me, I don't know. I, I, so therefore, I do maintain a presence in value and, and international value as well. But you, it could be that I'll be sitting there and watching those assets just sit there and lifelessly doing nothing well and and <laughs> in relative and terms. to me saying i don't saying um we don't your i don't know is the same as me questioning is there actually an opportunity or not oh right? i see is, okay is, is, right, this, sure. is there an outperformance have we started an a, a phase of outperforming in value and i, I really don't don't know which is why mm-hmm. i would question if there's any any opportunity Interesting topic. I hope uh, our listeners liked it as much as uh, we did as uh, finance nerds. Yeah. In fact, we can put this, uh, this article in the show notes. I'm sure research affiliates would be, or at least a link to the article so you can get it from research affiliates. Yeah. And uh, again, the title is, Did I Miss the Value Turn by Research Affiliates? Yeah. Yep. I think this will be, be a good one. To all of our listeners, thank you again for joining us. It's been another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Please like, subscribe, give us five stars, tell your friends and family. Visit the website, retirementlifestyleshow.com, and we'll be back to you next week with another interesting topic. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, 
to ask us a question or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor and securities through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.